morning hey man how you doing hey i'm uh i'm here it's good it's uh what is it monday did you get a good night's sleep monday june 26th i kind of did i i uh i had to go to the airport last night to pick up a sibling a wayward sibling was it a prodigal (laughs) no no she was actually coming back from a good people coming back from a work trip but okay the flights were uh, like flights all over the country d- were delayed. You know, I was sitting in that park and ride where you wait, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like after eleven o'clock at night, and uh, they have the board up there, that digital board, right, right, and just delayed, 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 canceled, delayed, delayed on time, delayed, 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 just every, and I guess uh, all of her flights, these were international flights that were all. Uh, delayed. It took her a while to get home. She got home about three hours later than anticipated. But she it was coming her, from out of the country. She was, but it was her domestic. You know, the last leg of that her got trip delayed. was really the, delayed. Delayed a couple hours. So it wasn't an, just an international thing. It was like a. It was a broad conspiracy amongst the airlines. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, uh, I. I was like, what was going on? She's like, I have no idea. COVID, and she just started laughing. But. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It was just across the board, a bunch of flights were canceled or uh, delayed. Hmm. But uh, anyway, so I was up. I was up rather late. But uh, after that, I slept well. Good. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> it's few and far between. It seems like at our age to get like nice sleep. We're so old. Might as well just pack it in. Yeah, we'll just start going to uh, Golden Corral at four thirty. You got it. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to pass the age threshold or get some fake IDs. And then go into go to bed we're, at we're to seven. This, we're this to the stage now where Gen X is getting fake IDs so we can get the senior discount. Yeah, because it's that the inflation's that bad. I'm gonna need that senior discount. <clears throat> now, sir, are you really sixty-two? Oh yeah, sixty-five. Well, if my hip hadn't been out of joint last <laughs> night. <laughs> I've started to see there's other Gen Xers out there picking up on this idea that we're the only sane people left in the world. I've started to see some of that on social media and things. Like. Is it all of Gen X, though? Because, I mean, I think a lot of our compatriots are... <laughs> oh, no, of course it's the not rockers. all of them. But I, think, I, I, I don't think all Gen X people are awake, but I think most of the awake people if that's the right term, are Gen X. Because we, we remember the before times. We remember the, li- the world before the internet. We remember what life was like in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And the other day I was kind of feeling a little nostalgic for, for those simpler times. Not, and it's not that the 80s and 90s were, were perfect. There was problems. There was still you know, government conspiracies and spiritual wickedness in high places and all these things. But back but there, in the, there was an innocence and there was yeah. also, there was, 
I think the institutions back then were more aligned with what we thought they should be. They were, I think, mostly good people involved in our institutions. It was pretty clear who the enemy was, Russia. Well, that was, yeah. And that's not even changed, right? Well, it, did, it did change during the 90s. Yeah, it became... And, uh, so for, what, almost 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, late late 90s... They I think even in the enemy. early 90s, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and everything, it was very, very clear that the the Russian Empire had, yeah, and then they created, at least reorganized. And then they created a new enemy in the late 90s, and that was terrorism. Yeah, and then of course they ramped that up in 2001, and for 20 years, that's all we heard about. Now you never hear a single word about that ever. You well, I don't know. I'm not watching the news very much. I've had it. I mean, if you don't, if people are still watching the regular news, I'm not sure what I have to say to them. You know, because they're speaking a different language. Like, I guess let's check it out. Like Fox right. News today. What do we got? Kennedy admin cabinet member could be in rude, for rude awakening over the use of private jets. Putin <laughs> is clinging to his job. Poll shows support for Trump has clearly shifted since the indictment. Um, shifted uh, Russia's upward. Russia's rebellion. Let's see. They, 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 they've tried to sell us on this idea that there was an attempted coup. Majority of voters would vote Trump. In Russia. Yeah, I, I'm going to go check out MSNBC. What are they trying to say? Marjorie Taylor Greene spouts dangerous rhetoric about Russian uprising. Um, I'm sure she MTG, did. so that's Marjorie Taylor Greene, and yeah. Elise Stefanik could sort of wipe away Trump's impeachments. Biden order to Dems regarding the Trump indictment is madness. Trump, they're, they're, these guys are still on Trump derangement center. That's like oh, they're so, it's, ten. So, it's so bad. It's, it's all they have. It's all they have. And DOJ special counsel, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Let's see, CNN. State news. Proghozin, Proghozin remains under investigation for inciting armed rebellion. So, yeah, that's, so the, that's the CNN's Russian got coup that. attempt. Yeah. Apparently. Now, so I, I'm never, I'm not an expert on Russia or Ukraine. But it's my understanding that Putin is rather popular with the Russian people. Yeah. NBC News. Kremlin tries to pro project order after armed rebellion, but no sign of mercenary chief. Supreme Court paves the way for Louisiana congressional districts to be redrawn. Teen who died on Titanic sub brought Rubik's Cube with him in bid to break the world record. Okay, that's... There was the sub thing that a lot of people think was maybe distracting from something, perhaps like all these whistleblowers coming out with recordings of the Bidens taking bribes, like well, the, millions the Biden, of dollars. The Biden news just confirms what was has been out there a long time. Right. We we've been talking about this in the new media, in the I mean, real the real uh, independent media for a couple of years now since the since before the election when the Hunter Biden laptop. Surface. There was a laptop. There's also the phone call with Biden, with his voice saying, "There's just you've got to fire this dude. Right. You know, you got to get rid of this guy. Which is why or they else these deals aren't going to go through. Which is why they impeached Trump was for Biden's corruption, which is now and now turns out is actual. 
Yeah. But we knew it was that. We knew it was actual before because we knew Joe Biden. Right. Didn't we? Didn't some of us? And, and the the story I've heard with this with this sub is that Sunday, so a week ago, a week and a day ago, the Coast Guard heard the implosion. You know, with their monitoring, and then they equipment. pretended it was. Or they, the Navy, right? They, they, the, the U.S. Navy, the Department they, of Defense. They passed it up the line, and somewhere along the line, someone said, no, we got to squelch this. Let's create this story that they're down there, and they only have a few days of oxygen. So, of course, the narrative was that, oh, there's these, these people, and we got to get down there and rescue them. When uh, the people in the know knew that it was, it was a, a hopeless situation, they were long gone. And yeah, did 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 the Biden administration order that in order to distract us from all of the impeachment, not impeachment, but the uh, the, uh, the bribery scandals that were basically proven beyond a doubt? Uh, I mean, you've got the in the court of public opinion. You've got Hunter Biden saying, "I'm sitting here with my father." This is to a Chinese in the court of the internet business person. Right, because it'll it, it'll never. Here, here's the thing, though. <clears throat> it nothing will be done about this. Nothing. Are you sure? It sounds like the medium, the mainstream press, which is why maybe sometimes it's a good idea to go see what they're talking about, so you can triangulate where they're headed. You know, because when they get that synthesis, like we did in COVID, where everybody starts to say the same thing at the same time, then mm-hmm. you know the the jig is up. The yeah, I uh, I don't think they're going to hold Hunter or. Biden, it's crunch time. Joe Biden to any real account, certainly not Joe Biden. You think this is maybe just an excuse to get him out of office for the next run, for the presidential run next year? Maybe, maybe. I mean, right now the Republicans are kind of scrambling amongst themselves to come up with a candidate. We're we're entering into that horrible primary season and, and election season. But but uh, the truth is, uh, Biden's being primaried. I mean, RFK Jr. is running against Joe Biden. As According a to who? According to non-corporate sources? Well, come on. He's a Democrat running for the president. The, you only know that if you have not, if you've been listening to sources other than the corporate. Well, if you media. if you're listening to corporate media, you know he's running, but you also know he's a he's a wild-eyed conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so they actually have mentioned his name. They well, didn't do the full-on uh, uh, blackout like the Ron Paul treatment? No, he's been getting, you know, we talked a little bit about last week, I think, about this uh, proposed, the proposed debate between him and Dr. Hotez, mm-hmm. right? So the counteroffensive there is, is basically Dr. Hotez doesn't need to debate JF, uh, RFK Jr. He's a... He's a nut job, dangerous conspiracy theorist who spouts dangerous conspiracy theories, and his ideas and his speech are dangerous. So they just are just. Are people even listening to that? Well, yeah, I mean, people people listen to it, but the tide on that, all that is turning. The mainstream media has far less influence than they used to. People are seeing through their nonsense. Mm hmm. So anyway, all this, all this um, messy, crazy geopolitical stuff is going on. This total corruption, potential war, coup in Ukraine or coup in Russia. Maybe, possibly, we don't even know what that was. 
And uh, by the way, this is the Mind Virus show. Right. I'm Jordan Bruno. It's uh, June 26th, 2023. I'm sitting across the table from my compatriot co-host. Yeah, that's me. That's Bobby Flood. If that really is your real name. Bobby Flood. Bobby the Flood. Um, it's more of a boxing name. Um, yeah, we're doing the Mind Virus show today here for you, our beloved listeners. And uh, so all this is going on, and you're just lamenting, getting nostalgia, you know, lamenting that it's not as simple and fun and carefree and happy as the, the 80s. Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit. Obviously, we were kids in the 80s and even the 90s, most of the 90s. And I was possibly here. the 70s. <laughs> I, yeah, I was a small kid in the 70s. Would you like to give your birth date here on the show? Well, I was born in the late 70s. Okay. But as opposed to the on time seventies, but I, I think about kids today, and like I think these screens are really hurting their brains. I think that I think just the bombardment of uh, like I don't know that kids today, unless parents or others intervene, they're going to grow up without any concept <laughs> of autonomy Reality. and and truth and liberty like and reality like we grew up in an era that yes it was the cold war but one of the side effects of that is we grew up believing and learning that the united states was a good place to be and that freedom was something valuable and uh, Prin- should be celebrated the principles of the american experiment were actually important even even if behind the scenes there was a ton of corruption we at least had that planted in our minds you know right like even the two parties, the two major parties in the United States, Republicans and Democrats, they both came together on the idea that freedom was a pretty good thing. Right. You had a, a, a level of political politeness that was pretty high. You know, you wouldn't right. have the Jerry Springer show in a, uh, you know, the press conferences between the president of the United States and the press didn't appear to be like a Jerry Springer show like they did during the Trump administration. Right. And this isn't to say that there was no uh, under-the-table or backroom shenanigans or corruption. There, yeah. there certainly was. But, but remember, that, that whole thing, 2016 to 2020, was caused by the press. They're the ones that acted that way. They, right. nev- they, they, cl- they completely stopped the minute that Joe Biden became president. Now they have ample ammunition with which to talk uh, about all kinds of things. So the press... And, and, and they won't even trot Joe Biden out for a press conference. The press and the intelligence community, really. The intelligence community was really the source of all of the so-called Trump corruption. Right, and then it was uh, executed by the FBI, all the, all the misdirection or the... Right. You know, we'll, we'll just hold on to this laptop and not investigate it and... They shut, well, the whole they shut Ru- down the Russia collusion idea yeah. was completely fabricated. Well, they, I'm just saying they were shutting down um, the IRS and right. investigations into the Biden family at the same time as they were promoting, they were accusing Trump of the very thing the Bidens had been involved in. Right. Right. They took Joe Biden's crimes and said that Trump did them, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I want to stop short of saying the intelligence communities were were basically good in the 80s no no, i don't think they were but but i just think institutions in general especially outside of government 
were a lot, a lot, were filled with a lot mm-hmm. more honest people. I think, yeah. And I think that's, it's taken a long time for the Overton window to move societally. So the, the blame definitely rests with evil people, but the, the society at large has shifted. We've, we've shifted our values, our ideas, our goals, our, um, motivations well i think a lot more of the general public today in the united states is pro censorship is pro uh kind of did you say a majority i don't know if i said a majority i think i said a lot a lot i don't know what i said it's on tape here yeah we can't roll that back i think a, a fair significant portion let's say that a significant portion of the population especially the younger group are pro censorship pro-authoritarianism some way more people than you think would be in america are pro-censorship well we learned this during covid yeah they're pro-government their status they're they think the government should intervene we had influential people go on the record publicly on television shows or twitter saying unvaccinated people need to be locked up so what were the turning point points in our lifetime from the idyllic 80s when we were just duking it out with the Russians in the Olympics rather than on, we were, well, we were boycotting each other's Olympics and that right. was a big deal. Well, the, remember that? And then McDonald's was giving away stuff. That was like huge. McDonald's was giving away like free burgers if we got the gold medal or something. And, and we got a lot of gold medals that year because Russia was absent from the 84 Olympics. It was in Los Angeles. It was huge patriotic yeah. time for a kid. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Are, that, we, are you too young for no, that? No, the 84 Olympics. Yeah. We, yeah, that was the Mary Lou Retton. Yeah. Uh, Peter Vidmar. Yeah. Who's a local now. He lives in the state of Utah, but he's a, an LDS guy, Peter really? Vidmar. Uh, he won the gold. Uh, he won some individual medals, and he also, that the men's team mm-hmm. won. Um. In that those eighty four Olympics, I don't was was Russia not in the eighty four Olympics? Yeah, we had boycotted I think the eighty Olympics in Moscow, and yeah. then there the Los Angeles had the next one. The way and as a kid, the way I framed that, just based on everything that was going on, was that this was a this was a competition of nations, right? And that it it was so important because we had these two drastically different systems you had communism and the iron curtain and then you had the west and america was essentially the uh the example of why it's so important to have the values we hold and right. have the freedoms we have rather than to be a closed society the irony there uh, is that communist china was in at the, those games and competing <laughs> yeah but they weren't the enemy they were sort of a sub enemy like oh China, big bird. yeah. I mean, we we did have interactions with them via proxy in the Korean War, in the Vietnam War. I think it, so. Turning points or events in our lifetime. I, I what think, moved what moved the society to this point? The the well, point of like embracing I, I the think, state. I think. Do you go as far back as the fall of the Berlin Wall? I think the fall of the Berlin Wall is still a really important moment in history. I think it was a great moment. Uh, but I sometimes wonder why... November 9th, 1989. Why it happened, who, what, why, why then, you know, why now kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
more specifically, I think I, don't, I think everything changed with the 9/11, 2001. That opened the that opened the door for overt censorship, surveillance. Um, it there was really a pro-government, pro-war push after that. I mean, you remember like for uh, two or three years, it was like we're gonna. We're going to go out there and start kicking some butt. I mean, Toby Keith sang about it, right? After 9-11? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think 9-11 changed the entire world. Well, yeah, let's, let's back up here a little bit. And by the way, I'm going to link to an article by Joel Skousen where he talks about the fall of communism being a, an engineered mm-hmm. event. And that's, I think that's a good question. Where did the Russian oligarchs get all their money to buy up all the state utilities mm-hmm. after the fall of communism or during that mm-hmm. and who who's really working for who you know um 1989 at the end of the year you get the the fall of the berlin wall and then pretty soon it was the gulf war right when what was that 1991 the gulf war yeah saddam the, hussein the first gulf war where saddam hussein was allegedly or apparently had invaded kuwait 1990 to 1991, so August of 1990. So yeah, there. W- I think there is evidence. Uh, somebody has talked about, somebody at a high level had talked about that uh, Madeleine Albright went over there and was it Madeleine Albright that was the Secretary of State and basically said the United States, President George Herbert Walker Bush will look the other way if you decide you want to take Kuwait. And so then... Saddam Hussein thought he had the green light, and then they used that as this massive impetus for going over there. That, that could be, I think, and then I think Madeleine Albright's the one that said that a half a million dead Iraqi kids was worth the cost. Yeah, that, yeah. That, kind of, that remark. And I think she was referring to the later Gulf War. Sorry, it was James Baker. Yeah, so James but Baker... But I'm not sure who... Somebody, I thought she was involved. And the president at that point was George H.W. Bush. Yeah. Somebody had told... And that was our him. first... That was our generation's first exposure to a hot war. I mean, there had been little conflicts in the 80s, little things yeah. you know, that you'd hear about. But that was the first sort of like... And remember, we've talked about Channel One television with Anderson Cooper. Yeah. I remember sitting in class probably in seventh or eighth grade, maybe ninth grade when that was happening, watching the videos of the, from the planes. You remember that they'd show they had the crosshair on the video and they're lining up and then you'd see the missile and then you'd see. Yeah, they were, it was televised because they had the video from the bombs. Yeah. And just thinking that is so cool. Wow. Look at that. How, wow. And also feeling like people just got blown up. Like, was, I don't think I thought the second part. I think it was like, yep, got him. Yeah, well, of course. And people would cheer in the class. And, and that was some heavy-duty propaganda that they were pumping into the brains of young, impressionable young uh, men like us. Oh, yeah. And as a kid, I, I was worried I was going to end up over there. You know, like it might right. be a, a drawn-out war. They were, right. they were talking about how incredibly... It was supposed powerful. To, the Iraqi tank right. battalions were, and this is that's when Saddam called it the mother of all wars. Mm-hmm. And, and that first round, it it didn't last very long, and Saddam lived to die another day. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Bush, for some reason, backed out, which I think is a good question. Why did why did they not maintain a... Why didn't they do to Iraq then what they did in the early 2000s? Yeah, that's a, that's a f- perplexing situation. Uh, he, he pulls out, I mean, he does what appears to be the noble thing and pulls out of Iraq and then the 1992 election comes up and he just anemically loses to the new hotness who is Bill Clinton who goes on Arsenio Hall and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Plays the saxophone. Plays the saxophone. And uh, he, he loses to him and we are off into this new era of uh, you know the 90s where it was pretty good, yeah. you know? The 90s were pretty good economically. We had budget surpluses. We had... Yeah, and we had a little. Uh, we had the Clintons to deal with. You had Ruby Ridge and Waco. They kind of turned their attention to the quote domestic. Right. That was uh, quote terrorist. The, the Clintons might have been a, a bit of a turning point, because they maybe they set the stage up for something like nine eleven happening. But yeah, I I, I just think nine eleven was was a huge turning point in. American history. It, it everything changed after that. Really, the United States of America, as being this place where most of the citizenry, like like eighty five to ninety percent, were 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 people who flew the flag, who pledged allegiance, who sang the national anthem, mm-hmm. who celebrated the Fourth of July. Yes, there were Democrats and Republicans and Independents and Libertarians or whatever, but Everybody, for the most part, operated under this assumption, this idea that the Founding Fathers were good people who did an amazing thing and established an amazing mm-hmm. nation. That changed after 9-11. In the, well, in the presidential candidate, uh, contest, the presidential election where John Kerry ran against, or, yeah, John Kerry. 2004. The narrative, the pro-war, everything was pro-war on terror from 2001 to 2003-ish when the election started heating mm-hmm. up. And then it was, I was for the war before I was against the war. And it became this indictment on America. And you had this, this anti-America, anti-war left emerge. Now, the left has always kind of been traditionally anti-war, right? Big protests for Vietnam. Well, that's what they say, but they always start the wars. Right. I was before the war. I was for the war before I was against Mm -hmm. the war, you know. But there was this anti-war left that sort of rose up, and that led to... Uh, obviously I'm glossing over stuff, but that kind of led to the national... kneeling for the national anthems and this kind of anti what we would call like an anti-Americanism. So on the, on the flip side, you had the rise of a more nationalism. And all the while, all the while, while America's, while the people are fighting over uh, stuff like that, you have the expansion of the uh, government apparatuses, the IRS, the uh, intelligence agencies got tons of expansion and power. You have the surveillance state while at the same time you have the invention and the uh, uh, distribution of the iPhone and the internet became very, very available 
where mm-hmm. you're basically always online. Social media, uh, where you, everyone is voluntarily saying, look at where I'm at. I'm marking my location. Mm-hmm. I'm here at the Starbucks. Mm-hmm. People are are voluntarily giving these corporations their birthdays and their addresses and their uh, favorite things that they like and their favorite music and their favorite foods and all of this information. We basically created dossiers on ourselves, Mm -hmm. (laughs) these massive info dumps. So I want to go back just real quick and and I want to just interject this and then keep going on the comments on this, this new world that we live in. Because it was 1990 when George Bush gave the New World Order speech. Yeah, the Thousand Points of Light speech. Yeah, so, so there, was a, there was a shift there at the fall of communism, or the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it, it appeared, it, it, you know, Skousen's assertion is that those Russian tanks that had been, the tank commanders, the battalions, the military that had been enforcing the, the iron f- will of the leaders of those countries for decades had to stand down. They had to be told to stand down in order for the students and all the protesters to take the radio stations, to take the TV stations, to, to be able to get up on the wall because a few days before they would have been shot. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just it. Right. And there was, there was no Western media type of uh, exposure or justice for that. And so this coincides with the George Bush presidency, which bizarrely, a very popular president who bizarrely loses in 1992. Because to a nobody at to, the time. Well, turns out he was his, his uh, brother in arms, so to speak, the right. governor from Arkansas. The, they're, all, they're all interlinked via but the, nationally, the CIA and running he, drugs. He was sort of like, like Obama. He was a nobody. Yeah, he's a nobody, and then all of a sudden he's the darling of everybody. Right. But uh, this this happens uh, right there during the George Bush presidency. Mm-hmm. All of these changes are uh, the, the shift, the massive shift occurred right there, and he is essentially run out of office with a whimper. Didn't, doesn't even care about it. He doesn't even seem to care about it. And then later on, we we see him working in philanthropic efforts hand-in-hand hand with the Clintons, his, mm-hmm. the mortal enemies of the Bushes, theoretically. Yeah, they're best and, friends. Yeah, they're, they're, great, best, they're, they're clearly great, best friends. They're great friends. And he, uh, he, he's working with them, and, and he, he just kind of goes off quietly into the sunset, and the only explanation we have in media is that he's, he uttered the words, read my lips, no new taxes, and right. that they got him on that. You're right. That somehow cost him the whole election. That was it right there. <clears throat> and I'm sure for some people it, it did, but it's and like... And the fact but, that he acts like a cardboard cutout when Bill Clinton has a lot of charisma. Yeah. Clinton, Clinton was sort of the Democrat version of like Reagan, a guy with a lot of charisma and personality. And Although I, I don't think anybody matches Reagan on that front. Say what you will about Reagan. He was quick on his feet. The actor? Yeah. I watched Who's uh, the vice president? Jerry Lewis? I, no, Reagan was very charismatic. I yeah. watched uh, Back to the Future recently. Oh, did you? Awesome. I, I was laughing at that line and Yeah. But that, maybe that's what set me off on this sort of nostalgia cuz in, in Back to the Future's Back to the Future was made in the 80s and it was very yeah. nostalgic for the 50s. Yeah. And kind of that more innocent simpler time. Mhm. And uh I think the 80s for us were 
were that kind of idealistic in the nineties. Like you said, a lot of economic, um, prosperity in the nineties. Uh, the biggest scandal of the nineties was Bill Clinton's girlfriends in the white house. I mean, yeah. And, and I got you off track cause you were talking about how in not so many years, just two or three decades we shifted. And, and I think it was, you look at 1990, so the New World Order speech through 2000, the internet is conceived of and deployed mm-hmm. extensively. 2000 through 2010, it's developed, so it becomes matured, and the advent of social, social media and smartphones occurs. And then 2010, it was really, maybe, I think it's more like 2015-ish, because we had a lot of freedom. There was a lot of freedom that enabled, you know, people have to freely operate and conduct business and whatever. Let's not forget the housing crisis in there. Mm-hmm. That, that, right. that, that's in there. But, uh, you know, somewhere around 2015, you start to see the clamping down on speech and the, and the, the control grid right. over over the free internet is is becoming appar- very apparent and the the mucking around of the the major search engines google had risen to prominence you know their influence was starting to it was being they we were starting to see it rather than, there were the hints of it were coming out you know right. it was rearing its ugly head it was yeah remember the net neutrality uh, arguments yeah i think that net neutrality happened under the table because they started Could have i mean you look at what we've learned from the twitter files the intelligence agencies were heavily involved with twitter yeah like to the point where they had people the fbi had people at twitter not undercover but just we're fbi people and we're here and twitter just went along with it when they also ended up paying twitter like 3.5 million dollars for yeah doing stuff on their behalf after the fact right right so, uh, basically for working for them now, think about if, if they're that invested into something as, uh, you know, as, as sort of B list as Twitter, imagine what they're doing with the, with the big time news corporations. Right. And we're talking, if you go back in time a little bit pre social media, that's all we had, right. Was you had chat rooms and forums on the internet, but the mainstream media, the, the news corporations were the influencers. And you imagine what, look at what the FBI was, was willing to do with Twitter. What were they willing to do with CBS, NBC, CNN, Fox through the nineties, but especially the two thousands when these cable news networks really kind of took off. And I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any distinguished or any difference there's between uh, state media and corporate media. They're the same thing. Like Fox News, CNN, CBS, CNN or uh, NBC. They're just government propaganda. And and I think there's probably. I mean, even on the surface, you see it, right? How many times does uh, a show on any of those networks, they, they're like, we're bringing in a Fox News specialist, former CIA director, mm-hmm. uh, you know, James blah, 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 yeah. is here to offer his insight. And, By the way, and this is one of those, ooh, we're, you know, things that make you go, hmm, things. Uh, George W. Bush's speech where he said it, 
said New World Order was given on September 11th, 1990. Yeah, George so H.W. You, yeah, you bring up 9-11 as the turning point. So he says, he says, we stand today at a unique and extraordinary moment. The crisis in the Persian Gulf, as grave as it is, also offers a rare opportunity to move toward an historic period of cooperation. Out of these troubled times, our fifth objective, a new world order, can emerge, a new era, freer from the threat of terror, stronger in the pursuit of justice, and more secure in the quest for peace. An era in which the nations of the world, east, west, north, and south, can prosper and live in harmony. So, 30 plus years later, is that what has occurred because the United States went over there and quote unquote stabilized or destabilized the region? I mean, <laughs> is, is hindsight not telling us that that was uh, a ruse, a fraud? Well, yeah. I mean, and they tried that again with COVID, right? We're all in this together, new world order. But right, he said that in 1990 and basically uh 10 11 years later you have the you have 911 which 11 years later right right you have but before that you had little smaller incidences of what they would call now islamic terror right the bombing of world trade center the first time yeah you had the attack on the USS Cole yeah. in Yemen mm-hmm. there was also in was it 90 Three, there was an attempted bombing on the World Trade Center, or that's when they they did bomb it with the truck bomb. I think it was a truck bomb, yeah. You also had in in media a plenty of monologues, plenty of uh, disc. Well, in in the movies, right? There were plenty of uh, pre predictive uh, statements made that we that the military industrial complex was going to stage the terror so that they could get their objectives met right so that they could gain greater control and make a lot of money well and 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 then post 9 11 i i flew to uh baltimore the december after 9 11 so december 2001 and got off the plane and there was men with rifles all over the airport like military presence all over these were american soldiers Mm -hmm. and it was unsettling it was unnerving because this was like not airports were pretty free and easy before then right you could go right to the gate with your friends and family you had to go through the metal detector but yeah there, there wasn't like we're gonna force you to go through all the security rigmarole just to there get was into the terminal. Yeah. The security that we know now today didn't exist before nine eleven. And so I think I think the whole thing, whether it was orchestrated an inside job or not, and that maybe that warrants its own episode, but they took advantage of it to create a security state. And I think 9/11 they needed was an inside job. They needed. <laughs> I'm not, Sorry, keep talking. I'm not disputing that. 9 11 was a controlled demolition. I think before they could instigate this, the surveillance state, they needed a security state. They needed up front for all of us to say, keep us safe, please. We can't have that happen again. A new Pearl Harbor. 
Right. According to the PNAC document, the project for the new American century. So, um, yeah, I think all of these events are interconnected. I don't know that we'll ever know just how much they're connected or how much they just, the people were taking advantage of events out of their control, some of them in their control. I, I don't know. I would love to, I'd love to untangle all these webs. Unfortunately, the people who try to do that often, um, if you try to do it publicly, right? If you say anything about it, they're often uh, suicided. Yeah, and that and that was the purpose of all the hate crime laws. So we had it looks like we had sort of a legislative uh, reorganizing period in the '90s and '2000s. You know, you got the the what do we call it? The Patriot Act was passed essentially giving the government unlimited war powers and surveillance powers into the financial system. And then the financial system was reorganized in 2008 uh, and nine. Uh, we had, um, there were, I think there were some, um, I'm trying to remember what the laws were that were changed, but there were, there were Clinton era changes to the laws that led to what, what they thought, whether well, that was the public, the public story was that those changes had caused the financial crisis. And so then the government right. had to come in and clamp down even more or. Right. You got to ruin the free market to save the yeah, free market. In, in 2008. So those types of things occurred. Uh, simultaneously, you had the, the hate crime bills passed the gay issue was becoming a right incendiary and it wasn't the trans issue. It was the gay issue. Right. And the, the hate crime laws are essentially the rationale for clamping down on speech. Right. Right. You, you can't say this or you can't say that. Otherwise it's hate. It's hate speech. So hate speech, because speech is protected, but hate speech, if, right. if everything is hate speech and the, if you're alt right or you're, alt-left or you're hateful or whatever, we can clamp down on your speech. So in a very broad way, if we look at, we go back and we look at the milestones, it seems very intentional. It does. And I'm sure that there was intention behind it. And I think all of this stuff takes, it takes longer than maybe the new world order types like. I think it just takes, it takes longer than people, um, people's attention span allows. And so they, they think that, you know, because I'm not that kind of an ideological zealot, nobody else is. Mm-hmm. But there are ideological zealots on all sides. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're Christian, you can kind of consider how powerful Mormon, for example, if you can consider how power, powerful the uh, culture and the ideology is and how much of a hold it has on you and family members and how long people have held with mm-hmm. even cognitive, significant cognitive dissonances in their life just because that's who we are and that's what we do. And so uh, just because somebody like uh, George Bush Sr. may not live to see the fruition of what he's working towards doesn't mean he wouldn't fully commit his life to doing that. Right. Is he still alive? I think he is. If he is, I don't think he's doing well. I think he's really uh, old. (laughs) Oh, he died in 2018. Oh, okay. That Sorry, sounds, we missed that. That sounds familiar. Yeah, that was a, a nice little uh, embarrassing yeah. 
I don't, I'm not embarrassed. Mistake here on the <laughs> podcast. We should have remembered that George B- Herbert Walker Bush passed away in 2018. Those are the, those are the before times. We're That's right. The, you don't that. need to remember the before COVID times. No, things like... It, it's like we were shell shocked as a society. Well, that's why there's I think, so much, and there's a huge flood of information. It's hard to keep all the facts straight. This is why it's yeah. important that you're listening to this run through of the Mind Virus show, <laughs> where we explain it all to you. Yeah, we never get anything wrong. We uh, we know it all. We are your single source of truth. Single source of truth. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you just look at the the history of the last. 30 years a lot has happened and and ultimately your question was how did we get here to this point and uh, i think I, we answered that question i think we did i think we, we <laughs> i think it's worth emphasizing one least key, in general one key point though is that all along we as a you know we the people were sort of conditioned to go along with a little bit more right a little bit more oh right. well we we i know the patriot act is is probably unconstitutional but Look what did, look what happened. Well, look we, what need, happened. we need it to be protected, to be safe. Look what I'm, happened five minutes ago, and now they have this Patriot Act ready to go. So yeah. it needs to be law. Obviously, they, yeah. I mean, it's an emergency. Yeah, that was, that's another thing, <laughs> how quickly the Patriot Act showed up. Obamacare was another milestone right. in there. Right. Um, and it was an eight foot high stack of paper that nobody had read that right. that had already existed. So <clears throat> one but thing we let our, we, we let ourselves get here by that's, by that's give, what I wanted to say. Giving away is, these inches. And, and meanwhile, people like Ron Paul were saying, stop, but they, but were the inches given or, or they were given, but is it, was it possible just because society in general had, the, the Overton window had shifted. The, the attitudes of the society had shifted enough because they, they would be, it, it was more difficult for them. They would have taken the ground. Tyrants and, and um, power-hungry people would have taken the ground had it been available in 1990, right? George Bush saying, hey, let's, right. we've got a chance for a new world order. And then he pulls out of Iraq. Why does he do that? Why does he, why does he I mean, is he that concerned about, People's I, I, opinions and I, I, I'm his sure legacy. somebody somewhere said, "You're done." Right. I, I think had he stayed, I think America was pro uh, war and anti Saddam enough at that time that had he stayed, he probably would have won the one re-election. Had he, he had a more decisive victory, had he got captured? Oh, it Saddam was very Hussein. decisive. He just stopped short. They just right. they said we've we've liberated Kuwait and we're that's all we wanted. Right, and they spun that into this great thing. How you know, look at this constraint. I mean, we've got this this quote from Colin Powell. What did he say? We we only take enough land to bury our dead. Hmm. And I don't know if that was about when, when he said that, but, you know, it's like, well, and also to build bases and to il- orchestrate coup, uh, coups. And Well, if you look at what's going on, like, you know, we talked a little bit about the United Arab Emirates in Dubai and uh, Abu Dhabi, the Persian Gulf there. So the Saudis were already on board, but... That right there, geographically, Kuwait and Iraq, essentially, you know, what Bush was probably doing there is is creating a beachhead for future activity. You, the, they, these things don't happen quickly. 
That's right. again, the, the attention span of the regular person is as long enough for a movie. And so you want it all to play out coherently in a couple of hours right. so that you can put all the pieces together. But if, if the, if it plays out on a long enough timeline, then we forget what's going on and we're easily swayed by the current emergency. And so I think that that's well understood by not only the ideological zealots on the side of the um, controlling oligarchy, but also by the devils that are running them, you know, the right. evil forces, the spiritual wickedness in high places that run them. It's like, well, no, we've got, we're not worried about getting this done in my 20s or 30s, you know, until before I'm an old man or before I die. I'm already dead. I'm, a, I'm sucking the life out of you like the machines in the Matrix. I think I've talked about the story uh, Good Omens by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Neil Gaiman. It's an angel and a demon, right? And um, Neil Gaiman, uh, I think he co-wrote it with uh, Terry something or other. I should remember this. It's really fun. You mentioned it a couple of times, I think. But they, they operate, these this angel and this devil, they operate on a long timeline because they're immortal. And, and so the... And you have the both sides, right? The angel and the and the devil and the respective devils and angels are all uh, setting forth events and motions to lead to the Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny in the end. In the end, the the like the the lead angel and I think even God is like, no, we're having a, a war. We're having Armageddon because. That's the plan. <laughs> that was the plan, yeah. So the, the movie John Carter kind of has that, a, similar, a similar theme with those uh, otherworldly beings that can mm-hmm. change shape, and they have the higher technology. I can't remember what they call them, the, the CERN or something like that. What do they call them? One thing that was kind of interesting, and I don't know if Neil Gaiman deliberately did this i think he's a really intelligent writer but in that in that in that good omen story you have both the the so-called good guys and bad guys are both working for the annihilation of human of humanity (laughs) and i think that's true when you look at the oligarchy right there's there's, there's, we, especially in the United States, we get so tribal about it. And maybe international polit- politics is this way. I don't, I don't follow that as closely. But it's like Trump. People right now are like, Trump is the good guy. Trump is Captain Moroni. Trump is the, the one mighty and strong. He's going to deliver us. And, and the other side's like, well, Trump is the devil, et cetera, et cetera. When in reality... It's like we have to we can't forget that Trump was already president for 4 years. Yeah. And but, we kind of got an idea who he is and what he's going to do. He didn't drain the swamp. He didn't Right. And and my point being is that especially in the United States government, both sides are working towards the annihilation of humanity. Yeah. yeah by <laughs> the way, they always the, come together on those types of things. Yeah, the the name of the angelic demon types was the therns t-h-e-r-n-s and the cern is the cern is the the, laboratory that's gonna i wonder working towards the annihilation if i have some sort of a some sort of a subconscious link there but uh (laughs) the the guy that plays the head thern is mark strong i think he's a great actor he's a good villain in a lot of shows and then he 
in the Kingman or Kingsman mm-hmm. series, he's like the uh, Alfred Butler mm-hmm. type of a guy. Um, but yeah, bo- both sides seem to be working for the destruction here. But you're you're asserting from the Good Omens perspective that the the gods of light are also working towards well, the that's, destruction. That's of humanity. the that's the angle they take in the in that story. I don't necessarily because I can agree with you that it's it's Republican and Democrat, and I think that I can even say there's a really good basis for looking at it that way. It's just that the the reason for their um. The, the destructive goals of the gods of light is to get us out of hell. Right. It's to, to end the, the, the rebellion. And then we go on to a new place that they understanding that, that life goes on after death. And, uh, if you are loyal to the truth and to the, the true gods, the rightful rulers, then you will have the Anastasis, the resurrection, to be lifted up out of darkness, out of death, and and to move on in your progression. Please go um, listen to podcast number 92 if you want a good overview of Jordan Bruno's ideas on cosmology. There's a book we need to read and probably do a review on uh, on this show. I don't want a reading assignment. Go ahead, what? Called uh, The Return of the Gods. And it's a little bit like a few weeks ago we talked about that. We talked about an article that Naomi Wolf wrote. I think called the same thing. She might have even brought up that book. Where she talks about sort of the ancient energies uh, reawakening in our world. And she had all kinds of examples. Jonathan Kahn? Yeah. He's like a messianic rabbi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had some friends and family tell me it's a really good book, so I may uh, listen to it because I have a credit on Audible just sitting there burning a hole in my pocket. Okay. How long is this? I think uh, eight hours on the audio book. That's it? Eight hours? Let's see. How many pages is this book? See, you know, one of the things with Audible is... 256 pages, (laughs) 1.21 gigawatts. Where am I going to find one point? Two, one, a two, bolt one. of lightning. Uh, that's a pretty short book. Usually, when I have, <laughs> usually when I have audible credits, yeah. I only will get, I only get big epic books because, like a, a eighty-page book and a eight hundred-page book are both one credit. <laughs> so it's like, well, and so usually I'll get big epic series when I have a few. Audible they don't credits. charge you by the page, huh? No. Like the the Brandon Sanderson, we've talked a lot about him. I I have his Stormlight Archive series on Audible, and those are like fifty to sixty hour audiobooks hmm. each. And we're talking, so you get your money's worth there. Yeah, yeah. For one credit, you get sixty hours worth of storytelling, hmm. or you can get you know three hours of storytelling if you buy a short book. Mm-hmm. Well, but choose, anyway, choose wisely on the, that <clears throat> credit that you've got there. Yeah, well, maybe I'll get this Return of the Gods book. So it was like a free 256 credit. pages. Oh, it's free. It was like my wife ordered something on Amazon, and it was like, oh, you earned a free credit 
because Audible, Audible will get you. They'll like, hey, we're having a sale. You can get three credits for three dollars. Hmm. It's like, okay, I'm in. But if you don't, you can't cancel your membership because it's a reoccurring monthly thing. They're like, yeah, three dollars or three credits for ten dollars. And then you'll get one credit a month after that for $15, right? You go into subscription mode. And if you forget or don't spend those credits, then you start to accrue them. So two or three months later, you're like, oh, I've got six credits on Audible that I need to use. You can't cancel your membership without spending the credits or you'll lose the credits. So it's like, well, I got to spend cance- these. If you cancel your membership, do you still have access to all the audio you've purchased yeah, in the past? everything you've bought is yours, yeah. And you, okay. can, and you can download it, listen to it offline. Until the lights go out. Yeah. You yeah. can download it. You can download it. But you got to use their app. You don't get it in like an MP3 format or something. Not that I know of. You have to put the Maybe microphone, there is, up, I, microphone up to the speaker and yeah. just sit there and wait for it. Maybe there is a way, but I've not done that. Um, TBM would have some understanding on how that is done, I'm sure. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, that's... Uh, but uh, Return of the Gods, I think, is, is relevant because, like Naomi Wolf's article, I think that ancient forces are being reawakened. I think that... They, I think they've always been they, awake. That's they, the thing. they have, of course, they have. But I think you have the people, us, the, summoning them into existence more with rituals and uh well, ceremonies uh, another and- another yeah that's a possibility but another um possible contributing factor it could maybe it's not the only thing maybe both are valid or a lot of things are valid i'm i'm guessing that's the case is the shift from the age of pisces to aquarius we're in a different astrological right. age right. uh theoretically some people believe that that shift is has occurred some believe that it's underway for the next couple hundred years and some believe that it's still not going to occur until Pisces is fully uh-huh. um, below the horizon at uh, the my opinion vernal is equinox. We there's no doubt that there's been a shift uh, in our world. Whether that means we're fully into Aquarius or transitioning, I I don't know. But there's there's no doubt been a shift. That's what we've been talking about all day. It's this nostalgia for the time before the shift. Yeah, Nibley. Uh, Nibley makes the assertion, and I can't remember exactly where, it's probably Old Testament-related studies, that at the shifts of these ages, you get these cataclysms, these catastrophes, mm-hmm. this uh, tumultuous, these tumultuous times, both uh, societally and in the earth. It's not just right. people. It's, it's the whole creation that is in tumult. And seems to be a, an applicable data point, I guess. Right. And I think you're right. Like, it, but it was, it was still, you know, it's been, the society's been in tumult since World War II, for sure. Right. For the, for the 20th century, even. Yeah. And, but there's always been wars and rumors of wars. But what, would you say that the, so the, we call it the cultural awakening or the cultural shifts in the 60s and 70s were any less great than what's going on right now? Because, I mean, think of the 50s. Think of how congruous mm-hmm. American society was coming out of the war. Yeah, I think the 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 uh, cultural revolutions of the 60s were probably 
at the time, and, and we could ask people that are, were around for that, at the time were probably felt as jarring as some of the stuff we're experiencing now. Yeah, and they, maybe they needed a break, and so then we got all the yacht rock from the early 70s, right? That's what right. we call it, right? Right. <laughs> Arena rock, yacht rock. Yacht I've never rock. heard yacht rock. That's It's good. like the... Da, 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 a little Chicago, you know, right. if you leave me now. Da, 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 da. But this, uh, you... The 80s, I mean, the 80s were were a time where, like, it it seems like culturally we had settled down a little bit and certain things were just kind of acceptable, but it was still really tame compared to nowadays. Like, nowadays you hear profanity and there's nudity just on regular television. Just just regular old television that you watch, you know, after work. Well, and is that bad? Or is it because we're we, we're overly um, protective of it for so many years? I mean, because like the Greeks and Romans, they right you know, the whole body thing was it not and, as big of a deal and, in other cultures. And I only bring up that example is just. An, I mean, I'm talking about the nudity. The profanity right. is another question mark. I think, I guess, what I'm getting at is it's just it's 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 one data point on this cultural shift like and mormons uh, we grew up in the lds culture so we were we're we've been ultra protective of uh, what what appears to be cultural excess like profanity for example right, and right. and right now like, like i don't think that they they that some of those words when when people use them all the time when they become commonplace are they really profanity or well, do you have to invent new profane words that's the thing is like you watch some of the television shows nowadays and there's so many like f words that yeah. you almost don't even hear them anymore they're just it's like you're at middle school again yeah it's like it's kind of like when we were kids, remember how the word suck was kind of an edgy word? Well, you suck. Yeah. Don't say that. We don't say that word. And now it's, you hear it over the pulpit in church now. Like it's oh, just yeah. slang. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, well, I, I got into an area on my mission and it really sucked at first. And no one blinks an eye. Yeah, it's nobody just, blinks an eye. Now, if someone got up in, in church uh, and used the F word, people would blink an eye. In Utah. In, yeah. But, but the but point being France, that... Right. The point yeah. being that this the slang and the profanity is just flooding the vo- vernacular, the vocabularies to where yeah maybe they have to create new new words. I don't know. But I don't. Yeah. I I I think that. But I think today though, I think we're going through another shock that might resemble like what the '60s had with the sexual revolution and things. The the shock now being that. Like the the '60s was a was a, a pushing back on culture, right? And sort of the Puritan tradition in America, and and this though today is not, it's not a culture pushback. I mean, today it's like a rebellion against biology and mm-hmm. and, and and like reality and common sense, and 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 you see that with the trans stuff, but also the the incredible propaganda around covid and just health in general like human health and what makes humans function and and our immune systems and science like in in the realm of viruses and sicknesses and human 
immune immunology is was just turned inside out and upside down for COVID, and we so, were all supposed to just go along with it. So, is the question that uh, society was less controlled in the '60s and '70s, and now a majority of people are acting like sock puppets, being animated by propaganda that is just. Uh, absurd propaganda like the trans stuff the, the incendiary buffooneries of race and gender are lighting people up right i saw an interesting insight on twitter it's rare but it does happen there's some some insight on twitter were you the one that said it no okay but the idea and i'm i if you're out there and you hear this and you're the author i i don't remember who you were so uh i'll give you credit you're getting credit right now even right now. some uh, unknown author but they, they talked about how guys like Colbert and Fallon, Kimmel, John Stewart, you know, these late night comedians. The propaganda priests. Became these priests of propaganda and they, they made it so anything remotely conservative, if that's the word you want to use, but remotely non-statist became a joke. And so people were, the masses were like, well, I can't. I can't at least publicly believe that uh, masks don't work because I'll be made fun of. Because look at, look at Stephen Colbert. He's making fun of everybody that says masks don't work or the vaccines don't work or that uh, uh, Donald Trump is actually a, a candidate that I like or what, whatever. The, pick, your, pick your talking point. And, and they've successfully created this this narrative where if you believe X, you're a clown, you're a joke, you need to be made fun of. Because look at us, we're making fun of these people. We're setting this stage for that. And so I think that helps create these uh, controllable people. Yeah, I think we may have hit on it. I think that it's the level of granular control that exists right now that separates us from the, the 80s. It's like like Orwell had prophesied you you can turn on and off public opinion like a faucet and you can do that now Qu very quickly with this the smartphones are little propaganda batteries in little, our hands little mind control machines <laughs> they are i mean you look around uh and i'm as guilty as as anybody well not as anybody because i still think i have some as guilty as sin mode of control over my usage of it although it, anyway but if you look at go to a public event like go to a, a baseball game or an nba game sacrament meeting sacrament meeting or uh, uh i i went i attended a high school graduation recently oh did you graduate no finally i did graduate but not this year i graduated last year graduated several years ago but I was sitting up kind of up high, and so I could see below me. And what do I see? Just dozens of little glowing screens phone. and just whoosh, whoosh, just people. And, and guess what? I was doing the same thing. Candy but, Crush Saga. But, but you go to, Farmville. like, you see it at sports arenas. Uh, you're supposed to go to a game to watch the game and to enjoy that experience. But mm -hmm. people are now just flicking their phones, and the game is a distraction or a background. Uh, noise for their phone hmm. and i found myself even like i'll be watching a movie while i'm flicking my phone you know 
and the 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 ability for it to control us is it's remarkable. We remember in in the early days of COVID, were you getting alerts on your phone like? Uh, uh, stay safe i turned off the emergency alert yeah, system uh, uh, in uh probably eight, 2018 2019 yeah. because they were amber alerting me too yeah much. i was getting so many amber or, alerts it was like i did the same thing yeah but people i know were getting emergency yeah they were see, using you the would emer- definitely see their phones light up and it's like right oh, what's what's the sky is falling and and it's like stay there is a stay at home order and and i still get I was getting a KSL, the local communist rag. I was getting their notifications because it became sort of a curiosity for me. And every day, every single day, they would, I would get an alert on my phone that said, 32 deaths, 48 hospitalizations. Like, like an emergency broadcast. Thing. Yeah, and they would, they would announce the COVID numbers. <laughs> and I just thought the, the level of fear and control they have over us it's like the Hunger Games it's when remarkable. they put the the faces up on the screen at night, right? Dun, 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 dun. And if I Boom. think if you're someone that's Boom. susceptible to that stuff, I mean, it's like you're the guy with the BLM Ukraine rainbow flags up on your flag posts, or on your porch, or on your social media badges, and it must be, it must be exhausting to try to keep up with all the current things. Maybe that's why the pauses, you know, we're waiting for the people to catch their breath. Yeah, and we're kind of in one now, maybe, other than it's still Pride Month. I don't know, it's been... It's still Pride Month, Jordan. Are you celebrating? Uh, Jordan. Was was I supposed to take it down? I thought that the the latest thing was to believe there was a coup in Russia. That is the latest thing. I switched to that. And that Uh, I think we should talk about. There's two really good articles that I, I wanted to bring up. One I sent to you, which was titled, quote, Blatant Political Corruption, The Rot in American yeah, actually, Com- America's Democracy Explained in Under a Thousand Words. I actually read that one the other day. I, I loved the cartoon uh, for the image. It had Joe Biden sniffing the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was uh, quite alarming. It's like, oh, yeah, even Lady Liberty is uh, under attack here. It's, uh, it, but it is. It's a good summary of sort of the high-level crap going yeah, on the right other now. the other one was uh, by tom luongo it was was prog Progosin's rebellion live or memorex and he he uh, he makes a really interesting point that i'll bring up in a second but but yeah the the blatant political corruption under in under a thousand words is a really good overview of like how blatant this is how blatant yeah. like the the established facts that the congress is now looking into are uh just mind-blowing that the the that the, the, the that this has been able to con- continue to occur and it can't occur without a coordinated right private apparatus that is allowing it to occur and it's been going on since at least 2016, since at least before Trump was elected, you know. A quick side note on corruption: Did you did you see the story that uh, one of our state representatives quit again midterm? Who quit? Chris uh, Stewart. And so now he wasn't in very long, was he? So now Utah's got to do like a special uh, election process, and I and I'm just thinking. It reminded me of when Jason Chaffetz, who was quite 
influential, you know, sat on, headed some committees and chairs or chaired some committees, whatever, quit right during his investigation of the Hillary Clinton emails. But uh, so her New York Post, uh, rather than the rather than CNN, uh, I've put up. Uh, I'm going to put a link to this one. New York Post. Utah Rep. Chris Stewart submits resignation letter due to wife's health issues. You think that's? I don't know. I I, I, ha- I don't know his family or his wife, and maybe that maybe that's just it, maybe everything there is as it appears. But anytime something like that happens. Yeah, the, the uh, operative uh, part of this article is the congressman's retirement would temporarily reduce the GOP's already razor-thin marg- majority in the House, which is 20, 222 to 213. Right. And who gets to replace him? Well, that's... Oh, it's Cox gets to uh, set up the dates for the uh, yeah, election. Yeah, and, and that's, that's in progress now. And I, I mean, I don't know who the candidates are. It seems... It's just anytime I see something like this, I wonder what's really going on. Like, right. Stewart served six terms, so about 12 years-ish. Right. Huh. Who, why, and why now? Right. And if his wife is sick or whatever, I, I wish her the best. I don't know anything about them. And, mm-hmm. and if he's doing this for her legitimately, then, then good for him. But it, it always just raises questions for me when somebody steps down midterm like these terms are only two years so he, he maybe could have just not run for re-election but maybe these health concerns and maybe i can do a little more homework but mm-hmm. it's just a little side note right when you were talking about the oligarchy and control and corruption mm-hmm. yeah yeah that 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 is a big question mark i think um Anyway, I, I recommend people read. I'm going to link to on the mindvirus.show website for the, uh, this podcast. I will link to this article on blatant political corruption. Uh, I believe it's uh, Zero Hedge. Just oh, they they were Zero Hedge does the article, but they are basically requoting a, a tweet and some a, points a big, made yeah, by a Twitter tweet thread. by a guy named Tom Elliott. Yeah. It's a good article. Uh, it's just, it's going to make you mad, though. But yeah, it's like this is chronologically what happened, and um, and nothing will have nothing of any significance will come of it. Right. The first point is that you know, twenty twenty, an IRS probe into the Biden's money laundering money laundering payments from hostile nations, the normal outcome of which would have ended his candidacy, was instead given a stand down order. So the IRS stood down rather than following through yeah, so on what they the would order? have done. Yeah. Who, who gave the stand-down orders? And- the FBI and the IRS wanted to search Biden's house in September of 2020, but were given a stand-down order. So no matter how corrupt the guy looks, if they are a statist, we, we don't want to interfere with the, their potential for obtaining office. And then gaining control of all the apparatus of government so that they won't be investigated unless right. it really gets out of hand. So yeah, this this just goes on and on and on, all these points, and, and it's very concise, and it's very much, at least if, and this is the thing, can we really believe anything coming out of the media? You know, so maybe we shouldn't believe any of this. I mean, no. Maybe we're the prisoners uh, like the, chained the, to the, the wall and the play The corporate news, no. I, I think everything they say is... is 
at least has lies in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the independent media, maybe, I think is a little bit more uh, trustworthy, but still, it's... You never. It's hard to know. It's yeah. Hard to so know. That we do have we do have a little bit of a benefit of a lot of independent media commenting and verifying a lot of this stuff. In fact, that's probably why it has seemed it seems to be reaching sort of a uh, a boiling point or a an inflection point here is that the independents will would not let go of this stuff mm-hmm. for so long, and so mm-hmm. the mainstream has to reconcile with it. Otherwise, they could just continue to get. Uh, to pretend like everything's perfect, right? So, so the you know, are we being completely lied to? Idea I think is really important relative to this coup in Russia, and I want to talk about that for a minute because that's <laughs> this may have a greater effect on our lives in the next few years than we mm-hmm. we care to think. But uh, okay, so everybody. Students, pull out your maps of Ukraine. You know, get out, get out your map of the of the Balkans and the Caucasus there in Eastern Europe. I'm gonna let you talk about this. I need to run upstairs for a minute. Oh, you want me to monologue on yeah, this? Yeah. Hey, I know you can monologue. Okay. That's our most popular episode. Is an 18 hour monologue. An 18 hour Jordan monologues. I'll be right back. You got me monologuing. Oh, geez. So Bobby exits the studio. And now I have no one to talk to except you, the listeners. Anyway, my point here, as my brain tries to adjust from talking to Bobby to just painfully extending this out as long as possible, hoping that he'll return soon to bail me out. Um, my point here is that we this this Ukraine or this uh, Wagner Wagner. Um, rebellion coup attempt had to be the shortest coup in history like we saw the headlines in the morning um what was it like friday saturday that there was this coup going on in russia and within like an hour we had a resolution and rather than um any fighting or you know really any serious military engagements rather than a uh, having any sort of events that matched up with the rhetoric that was being put out publicly by by this um the leader of the um Wagner group Yevgeny Prigozhin or Vladimir Putin who had responded with you know you traitorous blankety blank we're going to lock you up and then execute you later for treason. Um, All of a sudden, it was um, reported that Progosin is going to take exile in Belarus, which is Belarusia, right? This is (laughs) essentially Russia, but just uh, Russia by a different name, off to their west. Um. And, and this is one of the few countries in Eastern Europe that's, that has openly sided with Russia in this conflict. Um, Progosin is going to take exile there and everybody gets a, a free pass that followed him. They can go join him in Belarus 
and the term the the contracts that these mercenaries have with the Russian military are terminated they're going to let the Russian military come in and take their places in Ukraine and the uh, those those troops that did not take up arms that stood down they are going to be offered military contracts with the Russian Ministry of Defense if you know if they didn't take up arms against their own country you know they they get to choose whether they stay or go with Wagner into Belarusia Belarus so Luongo uh in this article he's he's kind of a snarky writer hey Bobby's back now I can actually speak freely um <laughs> what did I miss? Luang, I was just set, setting up the stage here of the idea that this was the shortest coup in military history. And within minutes, you know, as Luongo points out in the article, just as the, the convoy that was headed to Russia that Prigozhin was leading gets to the point where they need to turn left to go into Belarus, Belarusia, they negotiated uh, a settlement where this murderous traitor that was about to be executed publicly in the public square, you know, all the rhetoric from Prigozhin and, and Putin mm-hmm. was swept under the rug and they give him amnesty and exile into Belarusia and all of his troops that followed him are supposed to go there and but their contract is terminated with the Russian military and their place is going to be taken by Russian um um, regular army people and then uh, anybody that didn't take up arms didn't didn't join the convoy that was part of Wagner they can choose whether they go with their their um, co-workers or whether they stay in and sign up with the Russian military and so it's super bizarre because it's the fastest coup in history and it was all all this rhetoric this this fiery rhetoric was put out there uh, irrecoverable statements were made and then all of a sudden right Prigozhin's there, go, go into Belarusia there was some funny uh U- US headlines that uh like wh- when it looked like this group was going to march on Moscow and try to take out Putin the US media was framing it as like uh, a group of freedom fighters marching on Moscow when the deal was brokered and they turned back, it was uh, a terrorist group turns back after peace deal negotiated. So they were freedom fighters when it looked like they might take Putin down. Then they were back to being a terrorist group when, when that possibility fizzled. And it's just the propaganda, the way, the way we're being told to hate Russians is really interesting to me. I mean, our own governor, who you know is very, very good <laughs> at he, playing uh, the part that he plays. He called Russian people uh, animals. Uh, he did it through a retweet, but still, um, why else would you retweet right, it? Right. Contrary to public opinion in the broken, mind broken, mind raped Western media, um, Russia actually does have some rule of law. <laughs> they have laws that they're purportedly following. The, Putin is heavily dependent on the public supporting his efforts in order to maintain power. 
And that's one of the reasons why he's maintained power so long is he's been fairly popular. And again, I recommend everybody read the, read the article by Luongo. But if you look at the map and you look at the areas where the fighting has occurred and you look at the, the territory that is held by the Ukrainian forces to the west of Donetsk and um, Luansk and all those, those places in the east down by Crimea on the, on the uh, east side of the river. If a, ba- if a very large military force needed to get over into Belarus, north of Ukraine, closer, to, or sorry, north, yeah, north of Ukraine, but also north of Kiev, in a position closer to strike directly at Kiev, the best route right now, considering where the forces are positioned, would be to go, would be to go north into Russia to Kursk, and then uh, maybe a little further north, and then head west to Belarus, because they have to go around the Ukrainian border, have to re-enter Russia and go around any potential Ukrainian opposition and um, they can just drive right over there to, to southern Belarus and station themselves in the south within striking distance of Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine. And so considering that Russia still does at least have to make the appearance that they're following the rule of law and Russia does not have a declared war. He has essentially military authorization similar to, well, probably more limited than George Bush had after 9-11 and that the, the current U, U, U.S. regime enjoys. So he uh, he's going to have to have a declared war in order to put Russia into full military mode and do whatever he wants, have, have that state of emergency. And so because he doesn't, they've relied heavily on mercenaries, which is something that the United States has done, in, especially in the Middle East. They've relied on right. guys like um, Blackwater, mm-hmm. you know, these Halliburton, mm-hmm. these mercenary corporations and mercenary uh, groups have been well paid to do a lot of dirty work for the government. And so the point again is that if you want to position a, a highly trained, very large military force in a, in a foreign country that's, that's, that is friendly to you and, and your goals and objectives, uh, how do you get them there with a different narrative than we're about ready to strike Kiev? Or we're, we're positioning for NATO's next move so we can easily strike Kiev. This is a chess game is what I'm saying. Look at the map. Mm-hmm. It's like something like 25,000 fighters that are battle-hardened now. They apparently are pretty dang good. They've been doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the Russian military. And there's been a lot of rhetoric, which well, the first casualty of war is the truth. So, I mean, uh, we, we shouldn't be believing anything we're hearing. We really, that's, that's the position I'm taking now. It's like, I don't know if I believe anything coming out of any of these right. outlets. There's, there's a narrative and here's the narrative we're supposed to believe. So this is a slight correction to what I said. Spencer Cox didn't call the Russians animals, called them barbarians. Here's the tweet. It says, the war for you, this is not Spencer Cox's tweet, but he retweeted it. 
is the war for Ukraine is entirely Russia's fault. It's in America's and the free world's interest to help Ukraine repel the Russian barbarians. And then he he retweeted that. Hmm. I asked him via Twitter if he really believes the Russians are barbarians. And if so, that does that mean we can use violence against Russians here in Utah? <laughs> we're, we're repelling the barbarians, right? But that that tweet's ridiculous. But that's what the, was his response? He, he didn't reply. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you might retweet your tweet. But that's the narrative, right? This is all Russia's fault, which is not true at all. The United States has been involved in provoking this for quite some time, for at least ten, almost 10 years, at least, <clears throat> if you believe uh, Ukraine on fire, which is hard not to believe because you have the government's own, you have the United States government's own people saying things. Well, you have like, like video of Lindsey Graham and John McCain <laughs> speaking to the Nazi Azov battalion guys. Yeah, and we're going to make a war and you're going to win the Yeah, war. you're going to win the war. Okay. Then you have Vic- Victoria Newland. Uh, who was like Deputy Secretary of State at the time saying we, we've got to get rid of this guy and get this guy in. So, you know, pro-war president in. and uh, But it's, so it's not entirely Russia's fault. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, just calling the Russians barbarians, I think, is probably uh, would, in, in, in a normal sane world, people would call that out and say, well, that's a pretty racist thing to say because even if this were something Russia was blatantly instigating, Russian people are innocent. Just like there's innocent Americans and, you know, Iraqis and everything else, right? So I think it's really ridiculous to call an entire nation of people by barbarians. <clears throat> I agree. I agree. But if you don't have a declared war and you want to reposition a significant amount of your forces that are essentially hired on a contra- contractual contractor ad hoc basis here and and you want to have a plausible story for it. I mean, that's a little dramatic. Maybe, maybe the Russians are just that dramatic and it's like, Hey, I hate you, Putin. I hate you. Um, Brigosin. I'm going to come to Moscow to destroy you, Putin. In fact, we're on the road right now. <laughs> Everyone that's on the road, leave us alone because we're right. going to be there in a minute. Uh, If you come here uh, today, I will uh, have to execute you in the public square. Why don't, uh, you know, why don't you just go to Belarus and they will give you exile there? That wasn't even it. It was like within hours, the the, the story had shifted from, I hate you to, I hate you to, I'm I'm taking, I've changed my mind. I'm going to Belarus and I will be in exile there. It's funny to watch. With all of my forces. All the, like... Ukraine cheerleaders, right? That stand with Ukrainian standards. Uh, go from, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Let's go, Wagner Group. Let's go take him out to, oh, they're just terrorists. There's mm-hmm. just a terrorist group. <laughs> like that headlines is a set of headlines, like freedom fighters to terrorists in the space of a couple hours. Cause the narrative, you know, because just it's get just, it. Yeah, get a map. Look at the proximity of Kiev to Belarus. Well, also, just if any people out there happen to hear this who are caught up in all the current things, you got to just calm down. 
maybe before you start rattling off tweets on this and that and have some opinion on whatever, maybe just let the story play out. Maybe get a little more informed. Maybe like it's it's sort of like the the, the submarine thing. Uh, this little private submarine that imploded. Everyone was saying everyone was an expert on oxygen for a couple of days, and then now we know that the oxygen wasn't a factor at all. That these people died instantaneously. In a well, that's what we're told. We know uh, it again, right. right? But but again, like this, it's just before you just have an expert opinion on something, maybe wait five minutes. It's like Stephen King, the author, was like cheering on this Wagner group of mercenaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if he feels foolish now that like five minutes later, it was all, you know. Uh, I don't know if these people ever feel foolish. I don't think I mean, they why have they enough keep self-awareness. I don't what, think- at what point do you stop tweeting and stop talking? Or does the narrative just change? I think it changes to so fit fast. what you want. And they just move on to the next thing and they don't even... I mean, we're talking. There's never any consequence for being for tweeting anything absurd. Yeah, other than like being ratioed or being. Uh, uh, community notes is now a big feature where the community can add corrections and it's slapped on. It's like group fact checking, which has got its pros and cons. Interesting. So what you're saying is somebody can tweet and then there will be a whole set of uh, sub discussion on that tweet rather than replies say, to that tweet? Because yeah, I thought the replies to the tweet were sort of the fact checking. Well, the, the replies can sometimes inform the community note. And so a note can come in and say, readers have added context and said that this, this, and this. I saw a funny fact check on Instagram the other day. The this post itself was blurred out and said, false information. <laughs> And it says CY, or and then at the bottom there's just C post. So I'm always like, well, I want to see the post. And I click on it, and it was just so obviously fake, right? It was an interview with Joe Biden, and on the flip side of it, it, it was like a clip from To Catch a Predator. So the idea was to make Joe Biden look like he was the one that was entrapped, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very obviously fake, although it, Joe Biden may be a predator, but... <laughs> But the video was very obviously edited and fake. and It and, was supposed to be yeah, for demonstration for, purposes, it was educational, just, it was fun, funny. whatever. It was just funny. It was supposed yeah. to be funny. And, and, and it's like, so then I see the fact check. It's like, fact checkers have determined that this is an altered video. It's like, <laughs> fact checkers oh, have determined well, this was a joke. Well, thank you. Thank you, <laughs> morons. Like, so, so uh, yeah, it's a, it's a clown okay, so world, I, man. I, st- I still don't understand the notes feature because so, I don't use Twitter. So so I thought that if you tweeted, people could reply to your tweet. They can. Okay, but that's not the same thing as community what notes. What a community note would do is add a little tag, almost like like a fact checker tag. Yeah, but who gets to put that tag on? The community. And I think the way it works is someone at Twitter will compile the note and attach it on there. Okay, so this is just it's just editorial um propaganda it can be it can be but it's I mean, youtube does this usually, a, friend, a friend of mine sent me a, a pretty good recent interview between one of the 9-11 uh, truth groups uh leadership executive leadership guys and uh some pot uh, you know pretty significant podcast you know because it's 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 still a thing you know what what mm-hmm. happened on 9-11 there's there are people that still are pushing for truth there and um I, I think there was some activity with the journal for 9-11 st- st- 
truth studies or something. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, I guess I'll have to link to that. It was about a 40 minute conversation where they just covered some of the main points and talked about why it's pretty obvious that building seven was a controlled demolition and, and why it, right. it seems there's really good evidence that the other two were controlled. So, of course, on YouTube, where this video resides, is a big community note, I guess, where they say, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica says that 9-11, this is what that's happened probably, on 9-11. How is that not the same thing? That's probably more of just YouTube controlling the narrative. Like the community notes. I mean, how is it not like uh, Spotify saying, yeah, click it, here for COVID-19 information. Bobby Flood is a, the, a raving lunatic. The so. community notes is more crowdsourced, I think. And so I think it's maybe a little bit better than these normal fact checks. For example, yeah, but who's, who is this, this crowd? Well, who are these people? It comes from the cite, replies. Do they for, cite these people? It, it comes from the replies. Like, for example, it might be someone posts a video of something like, uh, I don't know. Let's just make up a scenario scenario here. Someone posts a video of something uh, absurd, like a, say the president of the United States tripped on stage, and well, they said he actually was kneeling down. Well, it, it might be a video of a, a plane flying over a, a city and dropping a bomb, and someone tweets out, "Oh wow, Ukraine! The Kiev is under attack right now," and the. People in their replies might say, no, that footage is actually a training exercise from Austin, Texas in 1995. Or, mm-hmm. and, the, and you get enough of that, and the community notes will add to it. They don't, they don't block the tweet. They don't hide it. It just says, readers have added context to this. So take it for what it's worth, right? It can go both ways. It can actually add context, or it can be the fact checker, Nazi police. Right, so the, the, the note would say readers have, had con- have added context that <laughs> xyz they'll say yeah that, that, that this was austin this was this footage was actually taken in austin texas in 1993 so what they're what they're doing is like if a, if the tweet gets ratioed or the majority of people are making a uh clarifying statement or a contradictory statement they'll note that that's that's right. sort of so it's a summary of the replies is what you're saying kind of. maybe could be yeah I don't know if they summarize the, the replies that tell them to go to hell or to, you know. Well, yeah, but also oh, relevant, repl- uh, relevant <laughs> right. replies. Right. So I, is it a good thing or a bad thing right now? I guess the, it can be used in either way. But, hmm. but if you see a video of, out there of Joe Biden on To Catch a Predator, it's fake. It's a fake one, huh? <laughs> None of it's going to matter in a year anyway, because everything's going to be AI, and we're not going to know the difference. Proghosen remains defiant in first audio message explaining the mutiny. Says the byline is, Wagner chief asserts that he wasn't seeking to overthrow Putin's government. So now they're going to kiss and make up and... One of the, one of the clues of how ignorant people that get really passionate about this are is they're calling the guy who led this, Wagner. They're like, we stand with Wagner. He's the best. Oh, yeah, rather than understanding that's the name of the company. Right. Hmm. Well, maybe this is a good spot to wrap it up. <clears throat> maybe. I mean, you, I could leave you here, and you could monologue for another six or eight hours. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Um <laughs> No, what, what's the point though? What's the takeaway, Bobby? Give us a, send us off with something good here. 
And um, I will I will let you have the last word. Okay. Um, Maybe. I don't, honestly, uh, I don't know. Today's been kind of one of those little nostalgic episodes, but I think it's just, as always, it's important to uh, to have your feet on the ground and to not just be pushed around by every current new thing. I think it's interesting to kind of follow along and to watch the ways that we're trying to be manipulated. But I think it's important not to let yourself be too caught up in these narratives, even if it's one that you think is the, is the right or the truth. Uh, I think it's just important to to resist that and to resist being manipulated by the powers that be, by the institutions, by the the storytellers, the bobbleheaded TV news ladies. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we can believe anything. Anyway, I was going to give you the last word. Go, go, more last words. These are the last words. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. Okay. Do you want the last, uh, last word? No. No, okay. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm just saying I don't, I don't think we're getting the full story and it looks like stuff is shifting. Stuff's moving here. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, enjoy the summertime uh, wherever you live. Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> it might be the last of our lives. Uh, but, uh, and uh, share, like, comment, Ring that bell, you know, all those all those social media things that we're supposed to say. And we will talk at you, because that's what we do. Next time. Next time. Have a great week. <laughs>